Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 99. Thank you for joining us. All of us have received gifts from God. Some have received the gift of being exceptional learners. Today we are joined by parents Veronica Foreman and Joseph Caro, along with our own Everett Bujarski, to discuss children who are sometimes referred to as gifted. This discussion allows us to see how the rigor and flexibility of Colby Academy allows the students' gifts to be nurtured, but also how, as a Catholic school, we recognize that the worth of these students is not in the gifts that they've received, but in being a child of God. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Colby Academy is known for its academically challenging program that is robust yet flexible, not to mention faithful to the magisterium and classical in approach. This customization is accomplished in a variety of ways, through three mix and match formats of delivery, via curriculum choices, and in the ability to support students' individual strengths and lagging skills by selecting courses above or below the student's age-based grade level. Sorting through these options can be a daunting prospect, something which the Colby advisors are happy to help with. In episode 54, we took a high-level look at the curriculum and how Colby applies the principle of subsidiarity in the service of home-educating families. We'll link to that episode in our show notes, as well as to more information on the Colby website about this. Many families with students who are academically advanced or gifted have found in Colby a place where they can meet the intellectual needs of their children while also supporting their formation as whole people, mind, body, and soul, growing in holiness and virtue. Our guests today include two such parents, Mrs. Veronica Foreman and Mr. Joseph Caro. Hello to you both and welcome to the Colby Cast. Hello, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Bernie. Glad to be here too. Good deal. We also have back with us Everett Bayarski, Colby's Academic Services Director, who has helped lots of families determine courses of study that serve the individual needs of the students, including the intellectually gifted. Welcome back, Everett. Thank you. It's always good to be here. Everett's one of our recurring cast members, as we like to say, so we will include his previous episodes in the show notes for this one. Veronica, it's a pleasure to see you today. I'd love to get to know you a bit better and hear what do you to Colby. So we're a family of three. Uh, we're living in San Antonio and pretty much we've been homeschooling our whole life. Okay. Um, but of course, Ellen was attending school from pre-K to third grade. Mm -hmm. Homeschool, I would say homeschooling because she would attend school in the morning, but as a gifted student, in the afternoon, she would be demanding, asking for more. Mm -hmm. I would like to read. What can I do? Should I write? Math, everything. So we were always working on the side. When we decided to move completely to homeschooling uh, it was in fourth grade after the after testing her mm-hmm. we knew it was the time to to start in a different environment so she was all excited that um, we could do this at home not just because we are very close uh, to each other 
but also because she would be able to select books, subjects. So that was one of the things. And now that she's moving into almost her last year of uh, high school, I can see the benefits or we can see the benefits of uh, all this because she's, we can see that she's a very mature young lady and um, taking her own decisions, managing all what she's doing and um, taking responsibility for the, the, all the tasks. Well, I've, I've been very impressed with Ellen from what I've seen of her. She's, I'm amazed by her. I missed though, how did you hear about Colby or why did you decide to go with Colby? Okay, there was a, there was a family uh, at that Catholic school uh, and they were a military family. Mm-hmm. So there were, there were times when their kids could attend that Catholic school and other times when you know they were traveling mm-hmm. and they would use Kobe Academy so oh. I remember very well when she mentioned you know when I homeschool my kids I use Kobe Academy and I just kept for some reason I kept the name that was when she was in first grade maybe and I kept the name until fourth grade so when we decided to homeschool it was Colby Academy. There was no no other place. Uh, we were in a classical school, so just moving to the same. Plus the, you know, the the easiness to continue doing whatever you were doing or pick select the books they were offering. Mm-hmm. That was great because uh, I just. You know, I just took um, some subjects from her previous school, new subjects from them, and just combine and continue. Like, you know, not trying to be to make a big change in whatever we we were doing before. Right. So yeah, yeah. She's in high school now, right? Next year she will start her senior year. So we're already uh, looking at colleges and universities. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've actually met Veronica's daughter, Ellen, on ColbyCast episode 44, the, the spotlight on the student newsletter team. Joseph, I'm happy to meet you today. Thank you so much for, for doing this, being part of this conversation. Would you tell us about yourself and your family and how you all came to Colby? Um, yeah, sure. I had heard of Colby for several years, uh, so it was on our radar. Um, the reason for that was because uh, my son, who's currently in Colby now as a ninth grader, we actually tried, I think I was just trying to remember maybe four schools uh, to find the right fit for him, which included a, a, a parochial school, a Catholic school, a, a local private school, uh, homeschooling, uh, just with different materials. And then another school, actually, another local school, a Montessori school. And uh, I, I was looking for the right place for him. And we started Colby for him in, um, I think it was eighth grade. And he just really enjoyed it. <laughs> and it really worked well for him. And uh it was perfect timing because I wanted to find something for high school. Hopefully that would be the same for all of high school and not move around. And mm-hmm. when we found uh, Colby in eighth grade, uh, it seemed like it was going to work. And then we, we made the decision to do ninth grade. And I, 
I suspect that we're going to stay through all of high school um, because it's it this year's gone really well. Um, I also have a daughter who did Colby for a year, um, sixth grade. Uh, and that was really positive. She really loved it as well. Um, but she wanted to, she had always been homeschooled. So she wanted to get her chance at, you know, going to a, a brick and mortar school. Sure. Uh, so that's what she's doing right now, but you, you never know. She might be right. back at Colby in the future. So. Right. Good deal. I'm glad it's worked out as it has for you guys. So let's get into how Colby is ideal for academically gifted students. Everett, would you take us through the options for customizing what Colby has to offer and highlight how these can work for such students? Absolutely. You know, I mean, one of the reasons Colby is, is fantastic for, for students who, who may have um, various academic gifts is really the same reason it's great for everybody is, is the level of customizability, is that um, because it is a form of individualized education where the parents uh, has, has a high level of control of what's being done. So that's the, the first reason. Um, and and for, for students who are academically gifted, it's, it's so important that parents are able to, to advocate for their student to, to work to meet their student's needs because many, many schools, many teachers may not be uh, well equipped to do that. And so you need to have someone who, who can be the advocate and who better to be doing that than, than the parent who knows their children the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where, where really that's where our, our, our advising staff is going to come into play is they're going to work with, with the parents to talk about you know, what their students' uh, needs are, what their students' abilities are, what the interests are. So we can try and get them into the right spot because we do, we have different types of courses. We have the, the live online courses. We have the recorded self-paced courses. We have the traditional homeschool courses. Those are three different ways of doing courses. And then even within individual grade levels, we have different options for, for different courses. There might be a different history options or different math options. And that's where, where we can really work with parents to, to identify what are the needs of this student and what are the needs of the family um, in, in working with this student so we can help help coordinate that. Because what might work really well for one uh, academically gifted student uh, may not work well for, for another academically gifted student. You know, I just had um, you know, advisors just talking to me about in working with a parent who had expressed that transitioning from one format to another format made a huge difference or the success of that student, um, just because of the way the you know their 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 brain wrapped around and, and worked on bringing that information in, and so that's one of the, the the key pieces is that working with the parent who is the advocate, who is the primary educator, and then they can partner with our our family advisors to to look at and help work through that process of of figuring out what it is. You know, we have we have honors courses available at the high school level. We have some AP courses available, so we can talk through what what is that balance. You know, and and some students might have have uh, narrow gifts. They might be really excel in a, in a particular area in, in math or in science, um, in the foreign languages, in, in, in history or in literature. Other students might be uh, more broad based as far as ahead intellectually, but might not have the same level of, of the, the high spike in a certain area. And so those are all pieces that we can work on on working with parents to, to get the right fit for them. It's pretty ideal how how we have these options and that that you can also help us sort through them and it's it's uh in this setting we can kind of work through them without the what can be sort of a charged term this gifted or whatever the different things that that folks may have had to navigate in a different school system it's a it's a different ballgame and i think the one other piece to that is that so we have all of these options but we can also recognize that for students who have particular needs or particular gifts we can also partner with you about resources that are outside of Colby is that there might be a situation where a student is is really strong in a certain area 
And our curriculum may not be the right fit for that student in that area. And so the, and there might be other programs out there that you know, we think in general, our program is better in, in an area, but for a specific student and a specific need, this other program might work really well for them um, in helping to challenge them. You know, I think the, the, the one that jumps out to me most of all is something called the art of problem solving for math, which is a math curriculum that really dives deeper into problem solving to deeper into deeper levels of understanding to really challenge students above and beyond the, the base math curriculum that we offer. I think our math curriculum is fantastic. Uh, it, it's, it prepares students really well across the board. It's academically rigorous. But for students who are truly gifted in mathematics, who their, uh, their minds embrace math in a, in a way that's different than, than a large portion of, of the population, uh, that's a program that we can work with you to, to help get you pointing in the right direction. That may be a good fit for, for a particular student, um, even though it is, it's not our program. And that's something that, our, again, our advisors are going to have the knowledge to talk to you about um, based on, on where your student is at. You know, are there, is it possible that there might be something that is an even better fit? That, that we're still going to be able to, to bring that into your student's transcript. We're going to be able to award credit for the work that's being done for that. So it's still part of your student's Colby education, even though it's coming from outside vendor. Okay, Veronica, your daughter Ellen, like I said, was a ColbyCast guest on episode 44. Not only is Ellen very involved in student life at Colby, she has several other, other things. Um, she's also a stellar student and an accomplished pianist. Can you elaborate on how she balances her advanced scholastic work with her considerable time spent on the piano bench along with everything else? <laughs> it's been a, a challenge sometimes, certainly, because um, throughout the years, of course, the subjects are, you know, um, increasing their the amount, the, the, the time you need to spend studying, uh, preparing essays, working on them. Plus, um, piano requires a lot of dedication. So um, uh, that was, uh, she started piano back when she was six years old. She was attending Catholic uh, school here in San Antonio. We moved to homeschooling in fourth grade, but just plain homeschooling. And um, she would find times to do it. But these days, now that she's in high school, we start our days at six in the morning. She ends her day at midnight, usually. Oh. Um, she prefers to work at night on essays and she prefers to play the piano right in the morning. She would go around four hours doing this and, um, you know, taking breaks during the day. And um, yes, it's um, it requires dedication from the parents, I guess and also from the, the student. I think Kobe Academy helped us a lot in the, in the way they prepare their courses so we can accommodate the needs of our student, mm -hmm. um, especially in these times. Sure. Do you mean like on the homeschool side with the how you can do certain things on certain days or double up, like you can distribute the workload that way, or does that, has that helped you guys with working with her practice schedule and her performances and competitions and things? She's taking a mix of online courses as well as uh, homeschool courses. Okay. You know, with the online courses, you need to be there at the times, at the required times. She needs mm -hmm. to prepare her homework and present those uh, at the time assigned. But for the homeschool courses, we can do, you know, 
okay, we're gonna do semester one in two months. We're gonna do semester one for this other uh, subject in three months. So we need, we can go uh, spacing mm-hmm. everything. And there are times when we need more time for a semester. Like, yeah. okay, we just don't have the time to do this. And um, and yeah, the, the fact that she can work at the different times and get ready for everything, you know that she's also um, working in different uh, or participating in different orga- organizations. So that demands uh, having the time. And also, also uh, keeping that state of mind for a young, young girl enjoying her time with friends and um and just being a child also no yes that's great that's impressive how how you guys keep in contact on that and how she manages all that that's amazing joseph we'd love to get another parent's perspective on how colby has been able to meet the needs of your son and what that customization looks like for your family would you share that with us um, yeah, sure. I'll try. Uh, it, it, as you know, sometimes I, I think for anybody who's homeschooling, it, things get complicated, mm-hmm. uh, how you're going to put it together. Uh, but one of the things that actually worked out that simplified it very much for uh, my son is that he was able to just take full online um, courses which I have to say is it's it's pretty challenging, at least from my point of view. Uh, it's nothing like I would have been able or I had access to, you know, as a child. Yeah. Uh, and so I went to public school and, uh, you know, I'm constantly amazed at what they're studying uh, in ninth grade. I don't think I even had heard about it until I was in college or maybe, you know, well into college. And um so I know that the the full-time online is not necessarily for everyone uh, if all your classes are online because it does add that element of being like we just previously talked about uh, being at each class and you don't have as much flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Veronica, when you were talking, it made me a little bit thinking in my head myself like, well, maybe we should look into that doing some of the traditional homeschool because that flexibility would really helpful. Uh, to condense or expand, uh, you know, the time you spend on on certain things. For my son, uh, he actually is a pianist as well. Um, so it's been very helpful. Colby has enabled that. And the reason that I say that is because, um, like Veronica mentioned, uh, somebody who has an outside pursuit, whether it's, you know, uh, music or sports or or whatever it might be, um, you know, it, it just takes time and dedication. With Colby, whether it's online or 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 the tr- more traditional homeschool or a combination or of both, what you really gain a lot of time and efficiency. So if you're going to a, a brick and mortar school, just the drive time there and back, uh, and then the lining up time and the you know, if you add all of the inefficiencies, they really add up, right? Colby. It's very efficient. You're done with class. You take off your headphones. You go practice piano. It's, you know, you're at home. Um, So everything moves much more smoothly, which I think can give uh, children who are 
trying to uh, get the most out of their day, uh, it gives them, it doesn't put as much pressure on them. I think they get, they get a little bit more time to work it out for themselves what, when they want to practice or when they want to study. Or, and I think that's very beneficial uh, for, for us anyway. So that's partly why it was such a good fit. The other reason is because um, I did find, I have found, I've only been here for two years, but I have found that the uh, uh, everybody, and first of all, I just want to say everybody who's involved in Colby so far that I've spoken to has hit it out of the park. Every time I call or every time I, I, I send a message, I mean, it's just been incredible. It's been incredible. And we joined during the height of the transitional period <laughs> where I think you went like gained a thousand new enrollments mm-hmm. um, and we were brand new. So I was calling and asking really, you know, silly questions because I had no idea what I was doing. And the people who helped me universally, there was never a bad conversation. They really helped me, but they also were able to help me navigate what was possible for my son because we realized really quickly that he's, he was going to need a, 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 a more tailored uh, track through it. Um, and I think what we, what we realized was that the flexibility was there so that he could, for instance, take a class that was a higher grade level. That was no problem. Um, or he could not do a class uh, and, and do and pick it up later, or he could skip over classes that, you know, you would normally have, but uh, since he was able to do the work already, he didn't need to repeat it. Now I'll tell you that's refreshing, right? Because that's one of the hard hurdles actually in, in some other schools is to try to work that out because uh, you know, if you say, well, I want to skip a year, I want to skip a class. It's not, it's not as easy to do it um, for whatever reason, uh, but it seems like this system, you know, they, they understand that what's going to help the child flourish might not be the, the, mm, the path that's been written down or laid out. And, and that idea of like, well, how are we going to help him get to where he wants to be? get him or her to where she wants to be, you know, that has been really helpful. So uh, also having someone check it over and I've talked to the counselors a a few times just to know that I'm not going, you know, too far off the beaten path and that he'll be able to handle it or uh, these things will work out in the end um, when it's a non-traditional schedule. So that's been really helpful as well. Um, But he loves it. He loves the academic rigor of it. He loves the challenges of it. Uh, I think he likes interaction with uh, the students who are, as far as I can tell, are universally really engaged in, in, in their education, which is a, that's a huge component as well, being with other like-minded students. Um, So that's been really helpful. All of those things have just been uh, a great blessing to us. Wonderful. Ever, do you find that a lot of people are surprised when they find out about all the options available to them? And they may have been used to encountering the hurdles that Joseph's talking about with skipping either grades or classes and the fun that is. And then they come and talk to you guys. What's that like for you? 
you know, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, first of all, it's, it's always one of the great joys of, of being here is hearing all of that was, is hearing mm -hmm. that and knowing that, that we get to be a part of that because yeah. right for people who are coming from a, a more traditional educational background. Again, I was, I was, uh, went to a, a public school my entire time. Um, these options, I mean, if you want any of those, you have to fight for them, right? Mm -hmm. You have, you have to be, I mean, your parents have to be on the front line fighting for you to even have a chance at doing some of those things. And, and, mm -hmm. and so often there'll be, there'll be roadblocks put in your way to that, that prevent you from doing what you as a parent know is best for your children. Um, and so it, it can be people will come to us and say, wait, we're allowed to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, the biggest reason that people choose to educate their children at home is for this individualized education. Now, there are other reasons. Obviously, Catholic identity is a huge part of who we are as mission. Um, you know, there, there may be some some fit issues with, I mean, you know, certainly people who are, who are gifted musicians, people who are heavily involved in athletics is another good reason to homeschool uh, because of the flexibility. Obviously, there are, there are lots of reasons, but for me, the number one is that individualized education. And so being able to share that with parents and let them know that, no, we don't have to put your children in boxes. We can really work with you to figure out what is best for them is amazing. And, and looking back at I mean, my own story, when, when I was going through this public education, um, I, was, I was blessed to have a couple of really exceptional teachers um, who were at, you know, one in, in elementary school in fifth and sixth grade who, who pushed me really hard in both language arts and math, and then one in middle school who, who again pushed me really hard in, in math as well. But, but outside of those couple of teachers, and, and there's a couple more in high school that I, that I ran into as well, you know, many of them just weren't equipped to deal with, with the, what I needed as far as being challenged. And so the, the response then is, is they don't know what to do with me. And as long as I'm not misbehaving, then fantastic. They'll just let me do my own thing, which in my case meant I read Tom Clancy books in junior high in the back of the class. And the teachers thought that was great because I wasn't getting in trouble and I was reading. And so that was a success in their minds. Yeah. But, you know, when my parents hear about it, they go, you're letting him do what? <laughs> yeah, it's it just it doesn't it wasn't helping me. It wasn't driving me forward. It wasn't um, mm -hmm. challenging me uh, again. By the grace of God, I had this wonderful math teacher who who was who wouldn't tolerate any of that nonsense, mm -hmm. and was was just said, "All right, you know, you did that math. Here's the next math. You did that math. Here's the next math. Okay, you'd like to learn some more about that. Here's the next one." And because she was willing to do that, um, and and obviously cared enough for me as a, as a person to, to challenge me and not just let me go, um, that, that I was able to advance in math to the point where I was, I was taking a, a pre-calculus as a freshman in high school because she just pushed me ahead and pushed me ahead and pushed me ahead. And so I think that's the, the exciting part is, is that, that rather than us as administration fighting with you as parents and putting roadblocks in front of you, we can view this as, no, we're all on the same team here working with your students uh, to, to help you get your students the best education um, that they need and, and how can we help you through that process. So it's uh, one of the great joys is hearing those kinds of stories about you know how you come from, from this one background, which again was my experience as a student and how much of a challenge that was and that we can provide something different for, for your children. That's great. So thank you for sharing that. I, I love that both Everett and Joseph, you're talking about that efficiency as well. I mean, so that's just built into Colby. So like you're saying, if you're a gifted student, if things come easily, obviously in a classroom, you're just going to be reading Tom Clancy novels at some point. So you've got, you're, when you're done, you're done uh, is one of the things. So if you go through faster, that's great. You can start on the next thing. But one of the things I, I'd always advise people who were who had gifted children who wanted more was always to delve deeper usually. And 
it's like, okay, well, you're reading the Iliad. Um, you could spend years going over the Iliad. There's such depth in the curriculum that it's it's already really deep <laughs> you know so i mean you could read more as well there's if you go to the homeschooling plans i know there's they're just thick with with different options that you could add in if a, if a particular area interests you but but boy do i wish i had this education um when i was when i was a boy that would have been fantastic just a short story there's a particular book on the ap literature and that always every year causes controversy. Can't remember the name, but um, it, there was a, the response from, from, from her teacher was, if you are properly catechized, you should know how to deal with the, the content in this book. And that's true. Um, she's, she's in that class in, um, Yes, the book is strong, but the, res the responses on her essays are very, very mature, very responsible, very, you know, in-depth, uh, the, the way that she's learning to think and approach all these uh, situations, or in these cases, in this case, the books. Yeah. Sure, yeah. No, that's perfect. My, my wife was just reading through an old history book and on the back, it, she just pulled up the back and it said something basically like classical education is, the, the intent is to get you to be able to look at things and analyze them, to think about them yourself. And, and it was basically talking about how important that is for our, our, our society, you know? So I, I see this, I hear this over and over again with Colby parents who it's like, they went off to college and they were exposed to this crazy thing. And here was their, very well thought out response. They weren't thrown off the rails. They were, they knew where they were going. I really love, I love hearing that. It's, and I've heard it now several times. It's fantastic. I, I, I'd like to uh, speak to something similar, just about that niche that Colby could fill in this, this way. You know, when you, when you have someone who's uh, academically gifted uh, there are a lot of programs out there that you can tap into. Um, there's, I mean, I, I'm just, for lack of a better word, I'm just going to summarize it and say like Mensa, for instance, right? There's like Mensa for kids, um, but there's different variations and different summer programs and different things um, that you find out about. And one of the things that was a little bit disheartening for me um, as a Catholic was that almost all of the programs that I looked at, they, they are, it was very, um, I don't know how to describe it properly, but very, um, I mean, certainly secular, but not just secular, but maybe uh, even anti-religion um, <laughs> in a way, or um, anti-theistic or materialistic, or the point is that I think there's a, a place that Colby can work really well is that when you have students who are academically gifted and they're looking for um, a rigorous academic program, you don't have to sacrifice the Catholic component of that to get it. And I think you, you, you used to have to do that. Um, and to some extent that does still happen. And so it, it was very refreshing to me um, and very valuable to me that uh, in some sense I can I can trust 
what's happening at Colby. Um, because as he gets older, a lot of it is more on his own. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, I'm not worried as much. Um, I still worry. I'm a dad, you know, I'm always sort of looking over everybody's shoulder, like making sure that everything's okay, but I'm not worried as much uh, because I can trust Colby to come at these problems and at these issues from a Catholic worldview. Right. Um, so, so that it, it's so, I can't stress how important that is because normally if you were in this high level academic discussion, you know, the, the nature of the human person might be in question. Um, certainly that, you know, if the only thing that exists is, you know, material being right. So non-material being is sort of out the window. So, you know, in science or math or anything like that. So, uh, it's just, it's a really, I think it's a very privileged maybe space that Colby could occupy to provide both this, uh, you know, challenging academic um, things for, for gifted kids, but also not jettison the Catholic faith at the same time. So I'd encourage, I hope uh, that Colby can sort of keep that, the eye on that, uh, you know, part of the, of the equation, because it's, it's a very important for us. Just another thought. I, I think, I truly think that education should change in the next coming years. The, the way it's presented, like we go to a certain institution, we sit there for many hours, and then we go back home. It's a format that might need to be reconsidered in the next coming years, because it's proved now that after the pandemic, um, we could we can see that it works. Perhaps not for everybody, but um, it works. So, yes. We've talked about that a couple of times on the on the Colby Cast. Just how, yeah, just how well um, when talking with the the Luns, for example, we were a few podcasts ago, talking about how the the classroom setting really is kind of an industrial age sort of mentality to it, where now we're 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 not in the industrial age and and thinking is is just about everybody's business now and which it wasn't always that way so and just the the strange things that you get you know that's it, it, people can make it work They've, a lot of great things can happen in in good schools but the fact that you you're in a room with 20 other people your same age you know we talked about that before kind of and that's a strange situation to be in that doesn't happen naturally and and just how hard that can be on a lot of students where you're you're now vying for the love of your your one teacher or whatever that that's there and so that you get that kind of nastiness sometimes unless it's really kept under control in a good catholic environment but uh, you you want to try to be the best be the one who's getting getting that love and getting that attention and so just even the yeah the environment se- certainly seems to be outdated but we're slow to move because it's what we've been doing i guess for a long time but but i'm so grateful for for the colby experience of the homeschooling and those things that are breaking that mold a bit mm-hmm. i like what you said too joseph about the uh, like you can go deeper in the study of a particular area of interest or a topic while also interacting with your family and developing those relationships and developing that those other aspects of your person that it all comes together. It's not, it's not that, and I'm back to the same thing about it. It's not just, you are just your academic mm. 
sense is just all these things coming together. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's it even though it, it isn't the same as being um, physically with uh, a, a bunch of other people, uh, it is there is that aspect of being with the other uh, students in the class, which I think is beneficial for, at least for my son has found it beneficial. And I'm grateful for that as well. I guess that might be one of the pieces that are specific just to the online part of it, Mm -hmm. that the, the interactions he's had with the other students have been, have been really beneficial and, and very fruitful. And, um, you know, it seems like they've been characterized by kindness and, understanding and encouragement, which has been uh, very nice, you know, very refreshing to, to have that. Um, I don't know if that's just because um, I, maybe it's self-selecting, you know, <laughs> like if you're, if you're at Colby, you really want to be there at Colby maybe, or I, I'm not sure what it is, but um, they all seem very encouraging and, and very uh, call each other onto a, a, a uh, courtesy, right, to, towards each other. Maybe it's the, the teachers doing that as well, I suppose. Uh, but that's been very uh, uh, refreshing. Um, good to see that even though there is that technology involved, there's still a human inter- interaction that can happen, which, as we all know, is really important to have as as part of your education. So uh, I just wanted to mention that, that, that I, I've been heartened by the, the interaction with among the students as well. Um, it's been, that's been a good part of our experience. Good. Good. Yeah, when we've had a chance to talk to some of those teachers, you see that uh, what a great job Megan and, and some of the people have done in hiring that staff out because they are just so authentically Catholic and just love their faith and want to bring that charity and that respect to their classroom. And, and so it's, it's been impressive. It's been very impressive, but I've, but I've, I've experienced that as well. It's just, just like wow, they're, they're, these are these are these are good environments for the kids to be in. This is how you should be interacting. Yeah, absolutely. They're getting such a great coaching in how to engage in in these great conversations and and civil discourse, as we've talked about with Dr. Hassler and some other folks on previous episodes. How to have these these positive interactions with each other. It's it's really inspiring to see. And you're so right. There, the online classes provide a great forum for the students to interact with each other, and and encourage each other and help each other grow uh, along with the teachers. And, and so there's that, that communal aspect and, and there is the time that is dedicated to that purpose, but it's not the whole day, all day, every day, <laughs> the kind of thing where it's uh, you have that time, but then you also have your own time. And that's, a, that always seems really valuable. I know when we tend to not have like just age particular friends, but we tend to befriend fr- families in our own family. And so, you know, you know, it's it's always fun then to see uh, families interacting because you are getting people at all different ages, but you see that there's still that need. Like this is a person kind of developmentally where I am there. So they'll eventually match up with the, the you know, their people, they're roughly their own age so they can talk about things at the same level and do things like that. But again, because we have classes meeting once or twice a week, you've got, oh boy, I can go in and discuss this great things with these friends that I've met, you know, so yeah. it's kind of, a, in my mind, a, a perfect situation. But mm-hmm. I, As far as I can tell, um, when my son has 
try to engage maybe or to uh, go maybe deeper, like like you uh, said, Stephen. I think as as far as I can tell, most of the well, I should say all the teachers, I think, have welcomed it. They they haven't they haven't brushed them aside or said, you know, let's <laughs> we're not going to do that. Or, you know, they'll encourage him to do do that on his own or or something like that. But what they didn't do is just uh, squelch it. I, I think I've I've seen that. Um, and that's been very that's been very encouraging as well. Um, I, you know, I, I, I want to I mean, in defense of of public school teachers, right, I suppose, or, or any school. Um, it, for that matter, uh, you have, I think, Everett, you you experience this, right, in public school, is that it, it just doesn't make sense economically or time-wise to, to deal with the students who are doing well. Like, their, their concern really is the students that are not up to par, and they have to bring them up to par. So what happens is anybody who is above where they need to be, well, you know, we don't have to worry about them, right? And, and, and that that system doesn't work for the, these types of children. And so even just allowing them to, to say what they want to say and then tell them, go do that, like go find that out um, is, is a very encouraging atmosphere instead of, well, you're done. Here's extra, you know, work that you can do in the same subject that you've just been doing more math problems that are exactly the same. That's, that doesn't work in my experience. That doesn't work for people who are, who need that extra challenge. So um, Colby has been great for that uh, because I think the teachers are able to be flexible themselves in, in their own classrooms. And maybe they would give some sort of extra, um, you know, tell them, Hey, you should check this out or, or you should look at this book. Um, and, and then even maybe be willing to discuss it in a different forum. I don't know, like in an office hours or, or through an email or something like that. Uh, so we, I, I haven't felt the sort of, oh, please don't get in my way kind of, you're distracting the class kind of um, thing that you might find in other uh, situations. You know, my son, when he was younger, was in a was he was in a school and again it's not the school's fault it's it's the way it, schools are run it and it's the state you know um, influence that it, there was a Lexile score I don't know if you're familiar with the way they do the Lexile score well you know you you take a, a test and it tells you what your Lexile score is and then there all the books have been categorized to fit a certain Lexile score um, and that's what you're allowed to read I suppose well when my son found out that, you know, there is this Lexile score, he also realized that a lot of the books that he was interested in were actually um, at a lower Lexile than he had. Um, and he ran into this problem where he wanted to read a book that was not up to his Lexile and they wouldn't let him read it, which is odd because... It, you know, his Lexile was above what his grade level was by far. Um, so I think the next time he took the test, he actually bombed it on purpose. Uh, he gamed that system so he could get a lower Lexile score in order to read books that he felt attracted to. I told him, look, from now on, don't purposely, you know, bomb these standardized tests in order to 
get where you want to be. Um, but he, you know, he realized that he was being limited and it's a weird limitation, right? It's, it's not just limitation that you can't go beyond where you're at, but also that you can't investigate other things that you might be interested in. Um, and so just to have the flexibility uh, to pursue your interests uh, and to develop in the way that God is sort of leading you providentially to develop is a, you know, that's a great gift, right? That's, that's a, 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 a boon to, to, to just flourishing as a human being. So I, I think that that's another aspect of it is that you, you know, you can find your path and not everybody's going to have the same interests and not everybody's going to be good at, you know, the same things, but with that, you know, ability to customize it, uh, as Everett was talking about, you can sort of uh, navigate the path that you're on in a way that I think helps you to, to find your strengths, maybe even develop new strengths that you didn't know you had. Um, so uh, that, that's been beneficial for us as well. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between going deeper and doing busy work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a big difference. Yep. But I think the, th- the thing that jumps out most to me about th- that story is that anybody who has students who have a level of giftedness has probably had some kind of bizarre experience along those lines of someone realizing that something doesn't make sense and then manipulating the system to get to what they want. I mean, that, that, I think that is a very typical experience of a student who is academically gifted in some way. So, I mean, obviously, we, we don't want to encourage students to do that, but you can see why they would look at it and say, this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. What would make the most sense is this. What should I do to make this thing that makes sense happen? Well, I, in this case, I should bomb the test so I can do what I need to happen. I mean, is most students at that grade level, their mind is not going to make all of those connections to get to that point. Um, and so that, that's, a, that's a very typical experience of a student who might have a level of giftedness. And again, to, to Joseph's comments just there is, Right. You know, it, it can be it can be really easy to just to feel like, you know, we're, we're talking negatively about about public education. And it's really important that those those teachers who were letting me read books in the back of the classroom, uh, they they were trying. They were well intentioned. You yeah. know, there was yeah. there was never any question of, of, of bad actors or, or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. But but as you said, is, is just given the system that they're in. And, and you just talked about this, this system of industrialized education, where the goal of education is to to produce the highest number of useful members of society possible with the least amount of investment that doesn't make any sense to invest in in one of these people this person is already going to be a successful member of society we can just check that box and move on to investing the resources in these other people and so that's the system of education that we're dealing with and most teachers they're stuck in that box they can't get out of it not many of them wish they could get out of it um, would, would love to get out of that system. You know, my, the math teacher who, who, drove, who pushed me forward, she'd been a math teacher for over 40 years. She started teaching math after she graduated high school, um, back at a time when you could do that, when if you were good at something, they would just let you do it. So you're good at teaching math, great, go teach math. You don't, they weren't concerned about the box checking of having four years of education and a higher math degree and a certificate and continuing education and all those things. She was good at math and taught math. By the time she was teaching me, she'd been doing it for 45 years. She'd been doing it long enough that there's nothing that, that the system could do to her that she was worried about. So she, she could break the box. You know, she was at a point where she could do that. Most teachers 
are not in a situation where they can do that right. because of this this model of education. And, and that's that's the limitations. And that's why that's why we have some of the challenges we do through no fault of these teachers, but because of the larger system that they're a part of. And that's the reason you need, that for many of these students, you need to get out of the system is so that you can find people who can get out of that box, who can help them. And that's one of the great things that we're able to do here at, at Colby is that we can hire teachers who who have spent all their lives wanting to be able to get out of the box and haven't been able to, but because of the kind of place we are that we can hire people remotely who they can teach um, in the mornings and then they can go home with their kids. They can be retired from teaching. They taught for years and now they can just do the couple of subjects that they've always loved best. Um, and then when a, a student you know, is, is in theology class is saying, boy, I'm loving what we're reading right now. What else can I do? I can say, hey, fantastic news. Why don't you go check out Justin Martyr's Apologies um, and let's talk about that, right? Because they can have that level of, of enthusiasm because they haven't been beaten down by the system. So we, we can, not only can we nurture love of learning in, in the students, uh, but we can actually hopefully restore some of that joy to the teachers yeah. um, who, have, who, have, who love doing what they do. And most teachers love doing what they do. Um, and we're fortunate enough that we can, we can put them in a situation where they can actually do that um, in a way that they might not be able to in some other schools. So many good things coming from this opportunity that, that we are so blessed to be a part of. Yeah. So there is a great, uh, even in the term giftedness, it's a gift, the, these intellectual abilities and, and academic success that many of our students have. They don't come without their challenges, though, in many instances. And there are a lot of things that come along with that. There's some stereotypes that academically gifted kids face among them, um, that expectation that because they're smart, then they've got it all together, or they're going to get straight A's all the time, or they are responsible in whatever way outside of that, or, you know, they get all their homework turned in correctly, it's all done on time, all these assumptions that are made that are not necessarily true. Sometimes they are, but not necessarily. Um, and the intellectual ability is separate from these other skills, some of which we go into in episode 68 grace for the nitty-gritty some areas of executive function and speaking to some of those areas when some stuff does you know stuff slips through the cracks or, and and related topics so for people interested in that you can check out that episode but let's talk about some of these these challenges that that our students face and and we ourselves if we have some of these same gifts and challenges there are some lagging skills in other areas sometimes and like everett said sometimes the area of giftedness is quite narrow and in the other areas not so much but there may be health other health needs that need to be addressed that we can do in at home while meeting these intellectual needs in a way that is not as easy to do in the school setting let's talk about some of those challenges and stereotypes so the one of the things that jumps out to me when you talk about is sometimes the academic giftedness can even hide or cover up some other things that are going on there mm -hmm. um you know, for me, uh, it, was, it, it was it was an underlying ADHD. Um, you know, and because specifically because um, ADHD is kind of a wide spectrum. There's there's students who are heavily on the hyperactive side, uh, but there's also the inattentive side, the easily distracted side. Um, and because uh, students who tend to be on the inattentive side very rarely cause difficulties in class, so they aren't typically noticed. And so, especially if you're a student who does well in school, you're you're, you're academically gifted. Um, you can be getting good grades or sufficiently acceptable grades that something like like an ADHD with an inattentive presentation doesn't even get noticed. Yeah. And, and as a result, the you know it wasn't noticed and kind of went on and went on to up until a point where it caused failure. Because one of the the challenges with ADHD is you have a kind of a uh, an activation threshold where when tasks are difficult, if 
if it's not sufficiently interesting, it, it becomes almost impossible to, to start to, to, to go. And that's the executive function that you're talking about. So as long as it's something interesting, boy, you want to talk to me about trigonometry? I am in. Um, on the other hand, you want to talk to me about, you know, writing, uh, doing a, a 10 page research paper on topic that I'm not in, interested in. Boy, I mean, ch check me out of that one. Um, and, but the challenge is if, if you have this academic giftedness, a lot of times teachers will say, oh, but he's really smart. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but he's such a good student. And, and, and they'll, let, they'll let you skate by with, with things they probably shouldn't let you skate by with. Um, and that's happened multiple times to me throughout my career as a student of, times that I should have failed classes. And in fact, me failing classes probably would have led to some sort of, let's discuss what's going on here, that might have actually led to, to a diagnosis and got me some help much earlier on. Um, I mean, I should have failed a class in junior high. I definitely should have failed uh, my AP literature course in high school. Um, but it got to the point where the teacher liked me enough because I said insightful things in class that he was willing to overlook the fact that I hadn't turned in three of the four essays that were due that semester. Um, which, I mean, again, he was coming to him out of a well-intentioned place that, that, you know, he liked me, he cared for me, he didn't want me to, to, to fail. But as a result of that, I got off to college before any of that even came due. In college, they weren't willing to let you skate on that. And so because of the, well, I've always been done well in school, then when you get to a point where all of a sudden that, that these things come to a crashing halt, you, there's no way to skate by, there's no way to, uh, to, to end up getting a grade better than what you need to do, you end up at a point where... I mean, I ended up failing a couple of classes, you know, there in, in college because of something that had been covered up, you know, for years and years and years. And it wasn't until even after college that I that had this diagnosis that helped me put together, oh, that's what was going on all of this time. Mm -hmm. um, and especially because the, the idea was ADHD was, oh, those are people who are, they're hyperactive, they're bouncing off walls, you know, that they're, they're always active, they're always moving. Uh, well, that was kind of the, the idea, the vision of what I had that would look like. It didn't look anything like what I was dealing with, where it was just a you know, boy, that looks really boring. This looks way more interesting. It doesn't matter that I ought to be doing this thing. Yeah. You know, or just, you know, I'm off staring out the window and teachers trying to call on me and it's going, oh, hmm, okay. What's... So, <laughs> yeah. so I think that's one of the, 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 the things that we can look at is we can see the, the grades as the, the, the evaluation of a, of a student's success. Um, and, and because if that's all we're looking at and we see, well, the grades are pretty good, then, then we might be missing some other things that are going on. Or similarly, you know, my parents were persistently frustrated with the, the idea that you're really smart. How come you're not acing everything? How come you're not getting A's? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's up with this, this B or this B plus or, or whatever, when, when clearly the, the material is some, is material that I could have done. Well, there's some other things that were going on that were really affecting that, that just weren't able to be put together. And I think that's one of the things that, that we need to be aware of, especially as parents now, because I went through that experience, I can be more aware of that. And because there's some genetic components that I can pay attention to that as I'm looking at my own children and seeing, you know, what things might be happening that I might need to, to look at and work on. Yeah. I mean, there's a real advantage in, in the homeschooling model or the Colby model as well, right? Because both you've got the parent who's there and really wants what's best for their child, not that the teacher doesn't, but, but in a special way, they, and they're given the grace to do that. But also you've got the same student for years and years and years. So, I mean, like one of the things is as you were talking, it made me think of my wife has taught for a lot longer than I had, but she, she was, will run across these students who just have amazing memories and they've had amazing memories for so long. So they get pushed 
because they think, oh, they can just solve every problem. And so they're not developing other skills until you get to a certain point. And then, you know, then the memory isn't sufficient to just do everything. They haven't built built those skills up or even things like she she would work with students and they would have such a great memory that it's like this paper is word for word from the text. This is you're plagiarizing. And they're like, no, I did this closed book, um, just writing everything out. It's like, okay, well, this is okay. Now we know. So now we have to work on getting that skill because when you go to college, they might not give you the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah. okay, I understand what you're doing now. This is, this is plagiarized. You're out of college. So, um, but even just noticing those things developing and being able to pay attention to that because you're seeing it everything through the years and and trying to get the best out of your child over that time too trying to give them the best that they can have i guess mm-hmm. yeah i i i really appreciate what you said uh steven about the parents having that you know they're with their it's their child first of all um and then they see that throughout the years, but also they have that grace of state for that particular endeavor um, that no one else has. And that is something, I, I don't know if I'm peculiar in this way, but I've always told my children, you know, whether they're at a school, whatever school they're at, uh, I always tell them now we're still homeschooling. I'm just, I'm just subcontracting out, yeah. but, but I'm actually your teacher. <laughs> um, and I hope they do a good job because I might be paying the money or whatever, but really when it comes down to it, it it's always, it's my responsibility, right? It's my wife right. and I, uh, it's our resp- co-responsibility to educate our children. And you know, that that's, it's because we have the, that grace, I think, uh, we're, we're, we're given that grace. If we respond to it, uh, to, to be able to see those things happening as they develop and to try to help them uh, in the ways they need help. And, you know, you mentioned asynchronicity, Bonnie, and that's, I mean, at least in my situation, that's been an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you run into that when you skip grades, yep. uh, especially very e- easily because you're not at a, the right age, right. For your peers or, for whatever reason, um, you know, you can have different asynchronicities. It could be physical as well. Um, and just balancing those out. But another thing about, uh, I think people who are, you know, gifted children is that they, they, I, at least I've always seen in the, in the encounters that I've had that with whatever gifts they have, there's always some sort of concomitant challenge that comes with it. It might even be as simple as, they think on a on a level that is deeper so things bother them more sometimes right i mean they they're seeing the the nuances of a situation or maybe they're they're having um um I, a, maybe even trouble sleeping because they understand the world in a in a in a way that maybe another 5 year old might not yet right, right. um or they're or they're already predicting like where am i going to go to college when they're in second grade which mm-hmm. i think is one of you know things like that happen at least it, i've heard other parents talk about that. So there's these challenges that they face um, that can be difficult to navigate in some ways. You know, my my son, for instance, he uh, taught himself how to read. We didn't teach him. Uh, he just, one day, he, he just started reading uh, stop uh, street signs. Um, and it was, it, you know, I was confused for a moment. Like how, 
how much can you read? Because uh, that was unusual. And so we put, he had to go, he went to a preschool and um, it was a little bit funny because they had the schedule written up on the board uh, for the teachers. It was like a team of teachers and he evidently was telling the other students about what was going to happen. Like, Oh, Hey, we're going to get, we're getting cookies, Uh-oh. you know, at the end of, <laughs> at the end of this, or, 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 you know, we're going to be talking about volcanoes. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and um, the teachers weren't, they couldn't understand like why. And then they realized that he was reading their schedule. So the next time I went in, they had it covered up with a sheet mm-hmm. and they had a peek through the sheet to see, what the board said. Um, and then they would send things home, right? They would send letters home, but he was reading the letters about like what was going to happen in school. So then they had to staple them closed, but they, they, they hadn't, they would normally not have been doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, but because he was getting all this information that he, maybe his age wasn't, you know, mature D level wasn't right. proper for that. It was, it could be difficult for him to deal with mm-hmm. um, just, the implications of the, of the knowledge that he was inferring or, or understanding in, in other ways, you know, just the, the intensity maybe that, that gifted kids have, right. Can put a lot of pressure on them. Yep. Um, and so they do, they like Bonnie, you were talking about the grades. I mean, they put the, their, they can put pressure on themselves mm-hmm. to have like perfect grades, which, you know, as we all know, at least I know <laughs> that not having perfect grades is not the end of life. I mean, I, yep right? Did not have by any means perfect grades. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that intensity can be a, a challenge too for gifted kids too. I don't know, Veronica, if that's been your experience, but I, I kind of, I assume it might be. Hope I can put everything together. <clears throat> I would say the importance of using um, resources or tools available. Um, it's always important. We tested Ellen back in fourth grade when we decided to leave our Catholic school it was a really good Catholic school. Just, it was the moment. Um, she really needed to uh, go beyond, go start doing some other stuff. And that was one of our reasons. We, we started this test, not just to prove that she was gifted, but just to know how much she was gifted. And also uh, to, know, to know if there was something else if she was a 2E, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, after that, we decided to, to, to join Mensa. At that age, it's just not, there's not many things available for them. But now that she's in, um, in high school, she's part of the Mensa Honor Society. Just the name is like, oh, I'm part of this. But they require a certain uh, amount of uh, service hours in order to achieve certain certificates, diplomas, etc. And uh, that helped her a lot in this stage of her life because she's looking for ways to volunteer, how to help the community. Now, um, talking about the pressure, yes, at some point, uh, how to handle the, the, all the, the, the things that you have to do in a day or uh, 2% in a month, uh, it can be a pressure for them. Some students might show that, you know, 
exploding, crying or something. And some others is just like, you see the person stressed out. Yeah. So um, in her case, she she's learning to talk all those things like, okay, we just need to plan. And if you plan and you organize, you can work on all those things or just give a time. Maybe this, this needs to wait in order to accomplish this. And, um, but yes, yes, it's a, it's a constant in, uh, in their lives, not just from the society, but from them. Uh, they are a, a gifted student or a gifted child is always looking, their mind is always looking for what else, what else, especially um, the ones who with, uh, you know, who are looking into writing, what else can I write? What can I read? What? And the ones who go for math or science or the ones who the whole the, the, the whole brain is working for all the things. Um, so it's important to, to, to look at those resources and, and tools and try to take advantage of them in order to prepare yourself to help them. Because as a parent, we, we, we have certain um, knowledge on what to do. But then you, you need to prepare uh, for every situation that your children are dealing with. So, Jump back. One of the things that Joseph had said, um, I, I'm a counselor for a test, an ability test called the Highlands Ability Battery. And one of the things they, they do, they're testing abilities, um, but one of the interesting things is they have these what they call driving abilities. And so you, you scoring really high does these wonderful things, gives you this wonderful ability, but they also make some things harder. And they may, they usually make demands on you. If you don't use them, you get really frustrated. And so the, the easiest example is uh, idea productivity, which they test, which is just how quickly can you come up with different ideas? You know, And so you think, well, wow, that's great. What a great ability to just brainstorm and be creative and come up with things. And then you think, yeah, but try to keep your focus on something for any length of time that doesn't really have your interest. You know, you, I don't want my brain surgeon with high idea productivity. I want him focused right here on what he's doing. So it, it's one of the things that they recognize that sometimes those really high abilities just, yeah, there's even without the emotional and, um, the stress and the, and the pressure of that, there's just consequences to having really high abilities. Yeah. I, I often too think that when you read the lives of the saints, you often see that they seem to excel in the places that are giving them the, the most trouble, mm -hmm. right? Like almost as if the grace is active it's it's almost part of their sanctification, right? That 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 they have an issue that they have to work through, like right? it's anger or something like that, some other uh, thing, and they become. That's partly what makes them a saint. Um, and I, you know, I I think with gifted kids that I see that whatever downsides to it are are these challenges that actually, if they can, if they can work through them right if they can if they can grow from them that actually makes them into uh, a, the kind of person that a holier person right and so i i think about this a lot that whatever gift someone has uh whether it's academic or music or 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 
what artistic talent or whatever, uh, athletic, you know, God must have given them that for a, a specific, you know, a reason, right? It might not be even, it might not be a reason for the outside world, although it very well could be, but it also could be part, part of the process of their own sanctification, how they're going to deal with that, right? How they're going to respond to that gift. Um, so that's a big component as well. Uh, but I also try to stress with my son that the gifts, you know, the giver of the gifts gives his gifts to some people and not to others, but it's so that we work together, right? Um, but also the gifts aren't something that are due to you. You, you didn't earn them. Mm-hmm. And they also might not always be there. Like I joke with my son, I say, look, all it takes is one stone to the head, you know, one, one rock to hit you in the head and you're not going to have, you might not have as good of memory. Um, and he's, a, he's a pianist, right? So Veronica, you know, this as well, it, some injury, right? Some hand injury could, and then you will not have the ability to put into practice the gift that you have. So what, what I think is important is, is also to not um, ground your identity Mm-hmm. totally in the gifts you have, right? Because as we age, we lose our memory. Um, if you're, if you're physically beautiful, that's not going to last. So, right. We can't ground our identity in these gifts, uh, but we have to use them with the time that's allotted to us and in the way that God allows us to. I can't say enough about that last point that you just made about the importance of that and working with, with, with people who, with, with people who might be academically gifted is, that's really important, especially in, in our society that tends to, that really tends to ground identity in things that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they say, you know, you're really good at this. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of your box. That's who you are as a person. And, and what happens is, like you said, when something happens that it, whether it's permanently gone, whether it's temporarily gone, or even a matter of there's a, a, a failure, right? You don't succeed where you've succeeded every other time in your entire life. If that has become a part of your identity, it is absolutely crushing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where where I think the, the importance of the, that formation comes in, right? That's where if all we're talking about here is education, about, uh, about challenging uh, students academically, um, they're going to go out into life, into the world with the expectation that that is their identity. And when they inevitably fail, because they are going to fail, it is really tough to recover. And so that's, that's so crucial, I think, for, um, for us as Catholics, for us as parents, um, to really help our students understand their identity as, as human beings, as, um, as obviously as our children, but first and foremost, as sons and daughters of God who are created in his image and likeness, is that no failure of whatever gift you have could ever impact that identity. Um, and I think that's, I think that's, that's such a crucial point. I'm so glad that you said that mm-hmm. um, because I, it, I mean, everybody struggles with this issue of identity. Um, every single person, regardless of, of the situation, it's, it's a constant struggle as human beings. It's part of a human being is struggling with who am I? I mean, that's one of the fundamental questions that's been asked back at the beginning of time. It's asked in scriptures. It's asked by the greatest Greek philosophers, the Roman philosophers. Um, everybody has asked this question, who am I? both as an individual and who are we as, as, as human beings. Um, and especially in our society, that's boiled down to you are what you do or what you're good at. Um, and that's who you are. And, and the result is, is an inevitable failure. And so a lot of the, there's a, I mean, a, an epidemic of mental health issues. And so much of that is tied to this, this question of identity is if we get the identity question wrong, 
everything else breaks. And so it, this is uh, when for students with, with certain academic gifts, that is one area which it can go really, really wrong. And so I think it's a, a really important point that you just made. Joseph, I think that was a beautiful statement uh, about um, giftedness and and I, I think the, the, the importance of supporting them at all times, um, they truly feel more than their world is, is just different. The, the perspective that they have, they just feel more, they just um, capture more um, their sensitivity. Um, I think that's important too to always, well, I think all parents, or I want to believe that all parents are always supporting their children. But yeah, uh, just remarking this area. I think one of the many blessings of, of the Colby education is coming to view these gifts as, as just that, they're gifts to us. They're not, we're not entitled to them. And yes, they can, yeah, they're meant to be used in the service of God's will. That's right. And, and I think the, all the ways that Colby forms students help to reinforce that idea. Okay, so like I, I mentioned one ColbyCast episode before, episode 68, Grace for the Nitty Gritty, earlier in our conversation. I also wanted to mention a, a couple of other episodes, number 52, Through a Catholic Lens, with uh, the our chair of the English and Literature Department, Kim Crawford, another uh, well-known voice here on the Colby cast through a Catholic lens about Colby's approach to literature studies, which very much applies to the conversation we've had here today. And also episode 92 with Nikolai and Kathy Lund that aired here recently. They had a lot to say that really applies to this conversation as well. So check out those episodes. We'll link to them in our show notes. Joseph and Veronica, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Bernie. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Good deal. Good deal. Fantastic. Thanks to have us back. Thanks, Everett. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.